Hey, what is up everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning how to reach master's level in Overwatch using nothing but the bongo controller from Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. We're not gonna teach you how to do that. I never did get to play that Donkey Kong game. And I've never played Overwatch. So this is, in fact, a very terrible place. I mean, I'm not saying that I haven't done that. I have. Yeah, but if you're not going to teach it, it's still a terrible place. I refuse to teach it. It's my method. And if anybody wants to challenge me on the DK Bongo Overwatch rankings, they can figure out how to get there themselves. Because I never want to have a situation where, like, my protege is coming to beat me. And then I'm like, I taught you everything that you know. And then they're like, yeah, but you didn't teach me everything I know. And that's my downfall. Oh, no. You know, I've thought this out. You know, the student becomes the murderer of the master kind Something of situation. Like yeah. Actually, I think there's literally a line like that in you Overwatch. Know? Then it is you <laughs> who are lost kind of a situation. Yeah. I've been lost ever since uh, I stopped learning and became bitter. Yep. You know, the only end is bitterness. That's an old podcast joke. Yeah, from, it is. Like that's, episode 30 something. That's from a long time ago. That's yeah, a very old episode. Uh, but this, this is episode 258. So, wow, it's been a long time. When you consider it's weekly, that's like, it's very indicative of how long it's been, you know, exactly. Yeah. More than six Pretty years. Much. More than six years for me, it's at least. Quite a quite a bit. It's been a long ride. Yeah, somebody recently said in the comments of the YouTube version, they started listening from the beginning. And I was simultaneously stoked, but also I was like, oh, they're going to hear some pretty cringy jokes. That's okay. They'll get through it. But you know what? This, that shows the growth. That's true. You got to be mediocre before you can be kind of good. And I figure by episode 750, we'll be kind of good. We're on the way there. Yeah, we're <laughs> almost there. Anyway, my name's Thomas Frank. I'm here as always with my good friend, Martin Bamey. And today, we're going to do something a little different. So I got an email. I can't remember if you sent this to me, but it was uh, somebody basically asking me about my decision to go all in on running College Info Geek. And that kind of gave me the idea of just doing an episode kind of telling the story of how College Info Geek got started, how it eventually became a business, how you got involved, kind of just telling the story of how we got started and how we got to here. Yeah, and it's, been a, it's yeah. been a long, long road. It has. We have been around for nine years almost, very close to nine years, and it's kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. What I is mean, that, like a fifth, fourth grader, fifth grader? That's a, that's long. I think when I was yeah, I think fourth grade was nine years old for me at least. Huh. But I was really young for fourth grade, so maybe fourth graders are ten. I don't well. know. I don't know either. But yeah, it's a long period of time. Um, ever since freshman year of college. So I kind of want to talk about how that got started. But I want to read this person's question, and I'm going to anonymize it for if that person's listening. It's going to be very anonymized. But uh, they said, "Hi Thomas. First, I want to say love your content. I'm a regular listener to the podcast." Um, the question is, how did you decide to go in all in on CIG after graduation? Um, I'm working on starting my own freelance web design business to help me pay off my student debt. And I also have a full-time job at an ad agency, ad, an ad agency. <laughs> well, the experience looks good on my resume. I would much rather be spending all of my time going all in on the business. Uh, right now I don't have a whole lot of expenses, just student loans. And uh, my main concern right now is that I would be all alone if I went all in on freelancing because I live in a small town. And it seems like you have a similar background. So how did you make the decision? So we will get to why and how I made that decision. But I guess I should say at first, like how the business got started. 
because I think there's some unique context to why I was able to go full time when I did. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that. So the reason College and Boogie started, uh, I guess two reasons actually. During my freshman year of college, there was a website called Hack College, and I basically was obsessed with it. I would read it every single day, and it was pretty much like a life hacker, but for students and written by students. It was started by a guy named Kelly Sutton, who I think went to college in California back in, I think, 2006. And by the time I got to college, it was pretty big. So I was super into it. And I also had landed a job on campus as a freshman orientation assistant, which meant that the following summer, I was going to be giving tours and helping all the new freshmen basically come in and get acquainted with Iowa State. So that entailed taking a semester-long training course where I had to learn basically everything there was to know about the university, anything a student would ask, anything a parent would ask. And that involved a lot of just general college success questions, like how do you deal with homesickness? What do you do with your failed test? Those kind of things. So I learned all that. And at the end of my freshman semester, I saw a blog post go up in Hat College. I basically said, hey, we are four students by students kind of thing, which means that because our founders are graduating this year, they're getting kicked off the writing team and they're going to own the site, but we need new writers. So send in your resume, send in a potential guest post and uh, we'll pick the best ones. And I was like, that would be good resume experience for me. So even though I wasn't an English major, I was an MIS major trying to work with computers and stuff. I wrote this big, long guest post. I sent in my resume, my LinkedIn and everything. I was sure I was going to get in. And then a few days later, I got a rejection email and that hurt partly because I was very confident that I was going to get the job and I didn't, but uh, it also hurt because I had spent a long time writing that potential article for them and I didn't want it to go to waste. So I had used WordPress before to make like a very small, like here's what I'm doing in college blog. And I was posting pictures from around campus and stuff like that. So I learned how to make a WordPress site. Uh, So I was like, what if I just made my own? And uh, I think I was telling you this the other day. My my literal first note ever in Evernote was the idea for College Invo Geek. Pretty solid use of Evernote. Yes. Overall. Pretty good ROI for Evernote, I would say. I think at the time, I wanted to call it College Beat because it was going to be like College Tips. And that name was taken. Uh, and I actually started following that blog when I found it, but I was like, I need a new name. I don't want to spend too much time thinking about a name. I'm a management information systems major. So I'm just going to call it college info geek. And that was it. So I registered the domain. I set up WordPress. I found a free theme that looked terrible, but was okay. And put up my first article. So that was kind of the first little, little Genesis for it. And At that time, and for quite a while afterwards, I had really no intentions of it becoming a business. I didn't really know there were pro bloggers when I started. I just thought blogging was like a hobby thing. But I figured it would look cool in a resume. And it would also kind of give me a way to crystallize and clarify everything I was learning for my job. And it would look good when I talked to employers and things like that. Um, I actually had a friend who worked at the IT center with me. And he found my blog and he was like, hey, you know how to blog. Can you help me set up my own? And I said, I can, but what if you worked with me? So for the first year, College Info Geek actually had myself and one other author on it. Though uh, all he ever wanted to write were articles on Android and Linux. So if you go look at like those. the first year of articles, it's like 
half college tips articles and half just here's how to dual boot your computer into Ubuntu. Here's the top five Android apps for students. It was like nothing but Android and Linux stuff, which was actually pretty cool. But uh, eventually his Android and Linux interests took him away from the blog and into actual Linux development and stuff like that. So it was back to being alone. And this was around the time I got my first, what I will call a big break. Uh, the big break was Hack College actually let me guest post for them. And I distinctly remember this. College Info Geek was getting about 15 visits a day before this happened. And then the guest post went up on, on Hack College. And on that day, we got 90 visits. And I was like over the moon. That's almost 100. It's Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, we're so close to 100. Like 100 a day? That was insane to me, which it's kind of crazy now. <clears throat> But like, yeah, 100 visits a day was what I was going for. And then um, the next one came a couple of months later when I built my hanging desk. I don't know if you ever saw this one. Yeah. Yeah, I saw this. I think, yeah, you probably saw it because, well, I don't think I had it at home or at the dorms because they had giant desks at the dorms. Wait a minute. I did. I actually remember this. I built it during the summer and I liked it so much that when I came back to college for my sophomore year... I put my giant dorm desk in storage. Like I convinced our RA to let me put the desk in there so I could use my hanging desk. Essentially, <laughs> for people who haven't seen the post, and we can link to it in the show notes, I really wanted a bigger desk in my room when I went home for the summer because I was used to one in my dorm, and I had this really crappy tiny desk from high school. I didn't want to go buy a giant desk, so I was like, I have a loft bed. What if I buy a really thick board and then I just hang the desk from chains off the loft bed. This worked really well. And did it like swing around or anything? Nope. So what I did was I got a, a thick piece of MDF, which is, I think it's, uh, what is it? Medium density fiberboard or I think something like that. it's actually mega durable. Mega durable. I can't come up with anything. I think it fiberboard. is. I think it is. Yeah, it's definitely about the density. I think it's medium density fiberboard. I'm not sure about the medium part, but... It was pretty strong stuff. I did not have a drill bit that was uh, big enough to make a hole to thread the chain that I bought through. So I found a small drill bit and I drilled multiple holes near each other. And then I used the drill bit to like just move around and <laughs> and like... You tried to like hollow out the middle in between yeah. all the drill bit holes? Yeah, I just, yeah, I just <laughs> like tilted the drill bit around a bunch to hollow it out. So my holes were really, really sketch, but I was able to fit the chain through there. I used Tenso chain, which I think has a uh, 250-pound rating per strand of chain. And there were four strands of chain, one for each corner. So hung it there. And then um, the last part was I drilled two small holes near the back posts of the loft bed. And then I just tied the desk through those holes to the posts. So okay. it, couldn't, it couldn't swing at all. Okay, It was as durable and as sturdy as a normal desk other than the fact that you could technically have like lifted it a little bit if you wanted to but i sat on it and it was fine oh and my first test was putting a 75 pound weight on it totally fine there's a picture of that in the post so i was like i'm just going to document this whole thing why not hack college sometimes does diy posts and uh, i put it up thinking nothing will come of it it was just a fun project the next day hack college had done like a little excerpt summary post about it and they're like check out this dorm diy project that thomas frank from college info geek did and that brought in some traffic like 90 visits again 
But the really cool thing happened two days later when Lifehacker picked up Hat College's little summary. Yeah. And they directly linked to me. And that brought in, I think, 4,000 people in a day. Which, for context, we probably get 10,000 people a day now, every day. So, like, the, a huge jump. So, I mean, it's it's not even half of what we get on a daily basis now. But at the time, we were getting probably a little more than 15 a day at that point because the first Hat College guest post. Maybe we were getting 50 or 80 a day or something like that. And then, boom, 4,000 in a day. And it was the first like real viral spike and it was just insanity to me i I thought that that was impossible uh and it might have been around the time where i started to think oh well what if i could actually do something bigger with this it was my i don't know it was like a taste of success and i wanted to actually run with it and the cool thing was the 4200 people that was a total viral spike most of them didn't stick around but it made a new threshold for the daily visitors we were getting I think it was about 400 a day on average started coming after that. So that was like, that was the first catalyst for success and still wasn't enough to make any money. I wasn't even really trying to do anything to make money at the time, but I was like, well, now there's an audience. Like maybe we could do something cool with this. Still wasn't quite sure if it could be a career, but I wanted to take it as far as we could go. So that summer I had my internship at the gigantic financial corporation which I've talked about a zillion times in this podcast. Uh, They put me in a cubicle to change firewall rules for an entire summer. And I could not stand it. And it also made me start second guessing the whole, I want to be an MIS IT guy thing. I was like, I really don't know if I actually want to do this. And at the same time, I was like, I've got this side project where it's really exciting and there's actually some growth there. So I basically spent like my entire free time that summer, every spare hour, either writing articles or trying to build a team to write articles. And at one point, I think we were putting out 30 articles a month. Now, they weren't all good. <laughs> you can go through the archives. Um, and I mean, I think at some point we're going to do a whole content audit and just yeah delete a lot of that. A lot of it's not really helpful at this point. Yeah. But it was but at the time, though, because you had to keep going over and over and over until something sticked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very glad Stuck. that I did it. Because it's, you know, the whole equal odds rule thing? Yeah. Like, the more things you throw at the wall, the more chances you have for at least something to stick. Well, that's kind of what happened. We did 30 articles a month for a while. Most of them didn't stick. A lot of them were just easy news. And then we had a couple that um, really hit home. I, I think there was one that was like five life lessons I learned from Pokemon. And that got maybe a 1,000 upvotes on Reddit and a bunch of new traffic. A lot of it wasn't sticky, but it was still cool. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually we started to make some money. So the first thing, which I won't call money because it wasn't actually money, but the first really cool thing was after the Lifehacker post, Adobe reached out through an agency. And at first I was like, is this a scam? Because I, yeah. I was like, Adobe would not want to talk to me. I'm nobody. But no. They, they had an agency, and the agency was like, hey, we want to reach college students, so we want to have you give away a free copy of the Adobe Master Suite. And for people who just started using Adobe in the last couple of years, they probably don't know what this is because now Adobe charges 50 bucks a month, I think. Yeah, now it's a monthly re- recurring thing. Yeah, and you just get it all. But back at the time, they had suites instead, and you would just buy them like every year or every two years or whatever. They were expensive. 
Yeah. If you so got the, the full thing. The master one was $2,600. Yeah. Now, if you were a student, you can get a student discount. I think it was $800, but it's still incredibly expensive. But like you could buy your laptop for, for those prices. Yes. Though, I mean, I don't know. I would make an argument that it's worth it because that software is pretty powerful. Oh, I'm not saying it's you not worth it. I'm saying the prize was good. Yeah. I mean, the prize was definitely good. I guess I don't it's not hard for me to see why so many people didn't feel bad pirating Adobe products back in the day. Cause like they just couldn't afford them. Yeah. And I've since heard from a lot of people that were like, yeah, I pirated Photoshop back in the day and now I pay for it as like my penance. <laughs> Cause now I have a job in the industry. Um, fortunately though, they were like, guess what comes with this giveaway? Your own copy of the master suite. And, uh, I don't want to say that like we wouldn't have had the same growth without it, but boy, it would have been a lot harder to do some of the stuff we did. Like me getting access to that. What I had before that was paint.net and GIMP. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good old GIMP. Um, Audacity. You know, you can do a lot with those things, but Photoshop is better than paint.net for sure. You know, it's yeah. easier to use than GIMP. And I think a lot of our growth came because I was able to start learning some graphic design and making some cool graphics and making some custom assets to design the website. And I did a lot of work to customize the website, make it faster, deal with the theme, all kinds of stuff like that. The first three themes, they were ones I bought, but I did a lot to customize them. And um, having access to Photoshop was pretty sweet. But it was also cool that like a real legit brand wanted to work with me. So we did the giveaway and then the biggest surprise came about five months later where they said, hey, we want to fly you out to L.A. to, like, be a student press person at the Adobe Max conference. So this was, like, and actually having having the perspective I have now, this was, like, the genesis of influencer marketing. Because now brands work with content creators, like, all the time. It's super common. Yeah, this was pretty early on, actually. Yep. It was so early on that the brands really didn't know what they were going for. Like when they talked to us, they had no requirements for view counts, for page views or for anything. All they required was like a certain amount of content. They were like, we want, you know, a blog post covering the event. We want like maybe a few tweets and a Facebook post. And that still happens. But I think brands are a little more savvy now where they can be like, oh, we, we know how many views you get. That's why... YouTubers are so easy to sponsor because you can see exactly how many views come in. You can even get analytics about watch time percentage and things like that. At the time, they were just taking a complete gamble on us. So yeah, they flew me out to Adobe Max. They had me cover the conference. The next summer, they flew me out to San Francisco to do this like Adobe Days event where we toured their headquarters in San Francisco and did content on that. And I don't know if the ROI was positive. I don't even know if they were able to measure it, but it was really cool that they did it. And that, that second trip, they basically flew out like everyone from the student blogosphere. That's how I met our friend Lauren, actually. Oh. Yep. Because at the time, she was a blogger for uh, like a college site that was run by, I think, like this big national honor society. And they had her go out for that trip. And I met a bunch of people. So that was awesome. So that was that was the first like taste of material success, I think. And there was some other weird influencer marketing things like Sony wanted to promote this laptop they came out with. So they literally gave me a laptop, which I think I gave to Ryan eventually because I didn't, need <laughs> <laughs> but I did a review for it and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, I think today had 
College Info Geek been the same size today, I don't think the same brands would work with us. It was very much like they were throwing stuff at the wall to see what works as well. Yeah. And over time, the influencer marketing industry has matured a little bit. There's also a lot more middlemen. Back then, it was they were just reaching out to us pretty much. Um, so that happened. And then in 2012, College Info Geek finally became profitable. The year of Krispy Kreme. The year of Krispy Kreme. Yeah, I first heard that song when we were in Japan. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it was a great song. It's a good year to start being Krispy successful. Krispy Kreme, 2012. Yep. Even if you had an Infinity Knives, I'd punch you up into the air like a kite. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what a good song. What a good rapper. He's such a good artist. Um, so a few ways we became profitable. First and foremost, I made this um, this guide on how to build your own WordPress blog. And that enabled us to make some affiliate money from the hosting sales, yeah. which is still an income driver today. Uh, we also joined the Amazon Affiliates program, also an income source today. And uh, we just started building a few profit streams. And eventually that ramped up over time to being able to support me. And um, I think it was the, the semester before my final semester, I left my last part-time job and haven't had one since. Now, life was very cheap back then. So this was it part was. of why I was able to sort of go full time. And I guess at this point, I'll say like, I went all in on College Info Geek, not after I graduated, but before I graduated. Um, and I guess one, one little piece of context I should add here is that I came into college with a lot of college credit because my high school offered a lot of dual credit course, courses. So I think I entered college as a sophomore and by the time I was a senior in my fourth year, there wasn't a whole lot left in terms of credit requirements. I just needed to like get the last major requirement classes. So I went and talked to the dean of my college my final semester and I was like, hey, is it cool if I go beneath full time? And they gave me special permission for it. They let me do one class as an independent study. So I think my final semester, I really only had six credits of actual sitting in class, butt in the chair classes. And then I had three credits of an independent study, which I cleverly turned into a college and boogie project. <laughs> um, that was building the iPhone app. And there was a post on that too. So the decision to go all in was sort of like a very gradual one for me. Cause I knew number one, I'm not graduated yet. So there's really no pressure for me to go off and get a job. I still have to finish my classes. So I'm just going to do my classes and then I'm going to use all my spare time on College Info Geek instead of doing a part-time job, which I had had all throughout college, every other semester part-time jobs. And I think you did too for the most part. Yeah, yeah. for the most part I had part-time jobs until eventually mm -hmm. you needed version four of the website. Yes, and that is the next thing on the list here. Uh, but just to make that clear, especially to the person <clears throat> who asked this question, I didn't have the same decision that I think most people who become solopreneurs or entrepreneurs have where they have a full-time job and then they say, I'm going to leave this proactively to pursue my thing. Th there was never an opportunity for me to do that because I was still in school when I decided to go full-time. Yeah, and because of that, you were allowed to like wait and just do it casually. And as it started to make money, then you were like, oh, it's ver it's basically validated before I have to give anything up yep. for it. Yeah. So it was a good good so, time I mean, to I really go all in because school wasn't over. So if it failed in the next several months, mm -hmm. it would have been fine. Yeah, ex and that's would have been a great a resume thing. line, which was the original point. Exactly. There, so there was like very little chance of true failure for me. 
And I think that like the position that I was in was very lucky, you know, and I want to acknowledge that. Like, I think anybody who's successful has certain catalyst points where there's like a lot of luck involved. And that was mine. Where it was like, oh, it just so happened to become profitable before I had to go and make a big decision. Yeah. And you just so happened to get featured on Lifehacker and then get suddenly you've got like 40% of the daily yep. stuff we get now in a day back then. It's like, but and it's, yeah. it's like you get your foot in the door by chance, but you only you only keep it open when you work hard. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's the it's the whole like you have to acknowledge luck, but you have to work hard to get the luck. Yeah, you or, could if you didn't work hard, this would have failed already. There yep. wouldn't have been an accidental. Everybody keeps giving you chances. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'll make it clear. Like, there were many nights when everyone else was hanging out at the dorm or at the apartment playing video games. This is true. We made fun of you for there's it. There's Tom sitting back at his desk writing a blog post. Yep. It was it was kind of a thing. Oh, Tom's probably working. Let's <laughs> go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, those were the days. But it turned out well, just like me eating salad bar in high school instead of the Papa John's pizza every day and grandma's cookies. That feels extra dumb to make fun of you for. Yeah, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that's They'd not like saying that. Tom won't come have fun with us. That's just saying he's eating salad. Ah, oh, those are green <laughs> rabbit food. That's what they said. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, oh, Tom, you got your rabbit food? I sit down as I'm like <laughs> in better shape than all of them. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. I'm going to eat my rabbit food. It wasn't even rabbit. I would, like, I would put a bunch of ham cubes on there too. Yeah, I, I, that's rabbit ham, it was just like, actually. <laughs> rabbit ham. <laughs> Anna and I had a, re- a, like a realization the other day. Okay. <laughs> Where is this connected so, like, to rabbit ham? You know how like if you go to like a, a sushi restaurant, you can get like crab salad? I don't know that. There's because, a food uh, called crab okay, salad. Okay. And I was just like, could you make other animal salads? And then I was like, what about pig salad? And then I was like, for, ugh, for whatever reason, pig salad sounds really disgusting. And then I tried out something. I was like, chicken salad? No, that's a chicken salad. That's sandwich. a thing. That's a thing. That's a thing. Cow salad? That just sounds absurd. Well, but what not if you gross. said pork salad? Would that be better? Pork than pig salad, salad sounds a little less gross. Yeah, because we don't say we don't usually say pig or or cow because of we the, say chicken. We say chicken because the French meat there turned into poultry, not chicken. Mm, I don't know why, but just like specifically pig salad but sounds yeah, it hilariously gross It doesn't gross sound <laughs> like well, I want to eat it. Anyway. Um, yeah, there were many nights. I prefer long pork. Yep. There were many nights, me sitting back at my desk. Um, I mean, that summer internship, I barely slept that summer. It was not good health-wise. But I, I did four tens, so I worked four 10-hour days, and I would come home every night, and I'd work on CIG till probably 1 a.m. Yeah. Wake up at 5 or 5.50 or 5.30 the next day, go to work, do it again. My Fridays, work on CIG. Like, I was... Mad and mad and obsessed about it. Oh yeah, and we we've all got our computers out in the living room playing Skyrim. You working on working on CIG? Yep. Oh yeah, I remember the 2012 summer. It was like U3 Monster Hunter 3 Try. Or oh, whatever that was, was called. that was good. And I'm just there blogging. And that that's what it took. That's what it took <laughs> to keep your foot in the door once it had gotten opened by chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that leads to the first big project with you. So there were there were little pockets of your involvement before this happened. There were it was it was like uh, when when a person makes several cameos, but then eventually they become a mainstay character. Mm. Like I'd written I'd written an article because I saw you did this when you came back to uh, Council Bluffs with oh, yep. uh, with our friend, and then I was like I want to write an I want to write a language article, and then uh, I worked on that, sent that to you. That was cool. I was like, whoa, it feels good to actually work on something. What's that? And eventually. 
I get inspired to start my language blog, and I build right. I build that with WordPress, and and I build my personal website, and it's only because I did all these things on the side that eventually you needed your website renovated. Yeah, you're right. I think so. Polyglot was really the first time we worked together. The because the only thing that happened if I didn't do that, I don't think you would have been like, oh, Martin, build my website. If I remember correctly, did I design <clears throat> the layout for Polyglot and then you coded it? I, I, I think, think I may have done like that a may have preliminary been one for you. Either It was either a preliminary one or a later redesign when I was working on it that That's was right. potential yeah. at some point. Yeah, but like College Info Geek gave me the idea to do this. Mm-hmm. So then I did that. And then version four needed done. You needed you wanted to rebuild your website for whatever reason. And the, I well, was there like, was a big reason. Oh, what was the reason? Three, I don't remember this. Version three was not responsive. This was back in 2014, 2013. And in 2013, there were a lot of websites on the internet that still were not responsive. Uh, I would say more were unresponsive than not oh, at the time. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, Pat Flynn got his website redesigned and it was responsive. And then I think I Will Teach You To Be Rich launched a responsive redesign. I forgot though, sites didn't used to be responsive. <laughs> yeah, and nobody knew how to do proper responsive code. I remember all these big bloggers were launching responsive redesigns and they were all kind of jank. Like there would be exit intent pop-ups that weren't responsive. So if you're on your phone, this like half of them are cut off the screen and there would be certain elements that weren't responsive. So I remember thinking, all right, College Info Geek needs to be responsive to go into the future. Google's going to eventually be caring about mobile-friendly websites, things like that. Yeah. I can either teach myself responsive code because I have had this DIY mindset ethos forever. And I think that's very useful when you're scrappy and have no money and you're building something from scratch yourself. Uh, But it came to the point where I was like, but I finally have some money in the bank. And the money is coming in because I'm making content. Like having a responsive website will probably enable the business to make more money over the long term, but the act of coding it will not make money. And you, you would have had to like stop writing or do both yeah. kind of halfway for a while. And I would have had to learn, you know <clears> what I mean? I, I guess I know cerebrally that it's like, it's media queries. That's not that crazy, but the devil's in the details, right? Yeah. You know, with coding, it's, it's always more complicated than you think. So I think at the time you were working on, in the bug department, right? Like the uh, I do think department? I do think it was entomology. And I yeah. was, uh, yeah, I was, I was working there and I was like, uh, see, I'd love to do this. Here's the thing, though. But I have this job, and I need the income. So yep. then, because <laughs> College Info Geek had started making money, you were able to just buy me. I was just like, pay me what this job would have paid me. I literally bought you out. And yeah. I will quit this job. And then that's that's what happened. I think we sat down. We were like, all right, you make $12 an hour. You work, I don't know, 16 hours a week, and there's this many weeks left yeah. this semester. And we just did yeah, the calculation. Yeah, we calculated it out. I think it was... $2,600. I was like, I'll quit my job if you pay me this number. I don't even really care yep. if it's higher. And then I put a billion hours into that website. Yeah, our Trello board was insane. It was very big. <laughs> There's so many issues. Um, and there was a reason for that. So I designed it in Photoshop. And I, I remember, oh, man, because I've used Figma now. And Figma is for oh, yeah. such a beautiful yeah. well, program. You had a thousand layers, basically. For it was like a thousand layer thing. document. Yeah. And there were so many different groupings. I mean, I was pretty impressed with my layout. It was layer complex. Foo. But in Photoshop, if you want to change something about the layout, you're going to be clicking through layers looking for things all day long. You're going to be moving a zillion things. It's the worst. But that's what we used. 
And then uh, you just coded it. Yeah, my job was just to take your Photoshop documents and make mm-hmm. the website look like that and then make relative guesses for the responsive parts when you didn't yeah. have something specified. Yeah, because in Photoshop, designing responsively is really tough because you have to just You just like have to start over, yeah. It. Yep. Uh, in Figma, you can just make, you can just generate like an iPhone 10 sized viewport and then just start moving elements over and there's all kinds of really cool things you can do. You can template stuff. You can select multiple elements. It's amazing. And now they have Adobe XD. So even Adobe has a UI design program. Nobody should be doing UIs in Photoshop these days. But that's what we had available to us. I think like the other option back then would have been just to do it in Dreamweaver, but I don't know Dreamweaver and I didn't want to mess with it. So Photoshop it was. And I remember I was like, I need someone to make it my baby or their baby. Yeah. Like I can't just hire an agency because I knew I, like, I could hire an agency, but they would probably just do it to the spec sheet and then they would be gone or I'd have to keep paying if there were little issues. Yeah. They were just like, it's Whereas, done. It's a one and done. Yeah. Whereas you were like, no, I will make it perfect. So, and this was a point of pride for me. We launched a responsive redesign at the time that I think was relatively flawless where most redesigns that were coming out were pretty buggy. Yeah, I was very, very, very obsessive mm-hmm. about uh, that. Yeah, you did a, lot, a fantastic a job, which is why once we launched it, I was like, this is worth more than $2,600. Yeah. So I debated a while for how much to pay you again, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to double it because I feel like if I were Pat Flynn hiring an agency, I probably would have paid more than 5 k for this. So, boom. Yeah, there was... I wonder if I can check. I wonder if my toggle account still tells me how many hours I put into that. It probably does. Probably does. It was a lot of hours. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that troll very, board is insane. Very, very many nonstop hours. It was a cool project, though. It felt cool to be building something that big. Yeah. I like to see all those done cards in the Trello board and everything. So I think you didn't work with me very much after that for a while, right? Uh, for a while, I focused on Polyglot. And then I oh, focused on job. getting into... Uh, the company that I worked for after school, you know, which so with we the used love, with the CIG love letter website, with the all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I was like, so I built, I built this CIG thing. I built this, I built my language blog. Look at all this, be impressed. Mm-hmm. You know, I was using it as a line on my resume and then That's true. Yeah. I did get to do that and succeeded. And then after a while, uh, due to a combination of factors, I end up with terrible nerve damage and I find myself needing to seriously consider quitting my job before I permanently damage my hands because I like couldn't close in them into a fist at times. It was so bad. Yeah, it was bad. It was very serious. I think that it started when you got rear-ended. It, it started like I hadn't been whiplash, sleeping right? more than five hours a night for like half a year. Yeah. I got rear-ended, got, got some whiplash for like a day or two. I basically looked worse than the hunchback of Notre Dame when I was doing my coding because yeah. I would like creep closer and closer into the screen as I keep – I'm paying so close attention to what's in the screen I'm forgetting I have a body. Yeah. So yeah, I was basically begging to hurt myself if I look back on it. But then I had to quit. But the problem was like I was going to tons of physical therapy. So I'm, I'm stuck in the terrifying choice many Americans face. So if you're in a country that doesn't do this, nice – Nice work. Enjoy that. But I was like, I need to pay for medical stuff because I need to heal from something that my job's doing. My job's making it worse, so I need to quit it. If I quit my job, I don't have money to pay for the medical stuff. 
Yeah, it was what, a bind. What do I do? And it's not like I can do like workers comp or something because the the job wasn't the cause. It's just drastically making it worse. It's, yeah. It's, it's like a coincidence. So I was like, oh, no, I'm stuck unless I can find a work that doesn't involve doing this. And this was when we were still living together in Iowa. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty cheap to live, but there was still rent that you had to contribute to. There were student loans that you may have deferred those for a few months. I didn't defer them. My student loans okay. have never been too high payment-wise compared okay. to some people I know. I had I had I, I worked the whole scholarship game and also growing up poor helped, to be honest, with the that does you know, be, it, yeah. I don't know that I would be poor on purpose to get those benefits, but yeah. I appreciated that I got the grants and whatnot because of it later. It's like a silver lining thing. Yeah, it's like a silver lining. I'm yeah. I'm sure I would have maybe preferred not that, but whatever, it worked out. So what I guess what I found myself thinking was I think at the time I had $20,000 saved up and there was no business bank account at the time. I was still sole proprietorship. So it was like, that was, yeah. that was what the business had. That was also what I had. Um, and some of that was sitting in my mutual fund because I've had a mutual fund since 2011. I literally opened my mutual fund in a programming class while distracted. <laughs> I mean, hey, there's worse things you can do while goofing off in class. I feel like the teacher would just be like vaguely impressed if they were like, what are you looking at? You looking at Red over there? No, I'm opening investments. investment account with Vanguard. What the hell is wrong with you, kid? <laughs> I mean, you should be paying attention to this Java lesson, but what are you, good for you. What are you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there was there, I've been putting money in there steadily. And I had this thought because I was I was contributing, I don't know, some amount per month. And I guess I had this thought. I was like, all right, it probably would take just like a couple of months of real just rest for you to heal. Yeah, not full-time programming. Making two to worse. three months. And I was like, all right, I can take $5,000 out of my mutual fund and basically like pay you to not work. Or I can have five thousand more dollars and ten years down the line I'll have a million and five thousand dollars instead of a million dollars. Yeah. You know. And I mean I'll I'll be honest, like I've been fairly confident since I was since I think since like since college and boogie became profitable, maybe like a couple years after that, I was like, probably within the next decade I'll make a million dollars. Hasn't happened yet, but Still confident that it'll happen. Got to stack them millions. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, because I guess I, I saw the growth trajectory. I'm like, <clears> if we can continue to grow the audience, if we can make smart business decisions, if we can come out with good products, but still serve our audience, like we will eventually become profitable to the point where it doesn't, you know, it's not unfeasible to be a millionaire by the time I'm like 33, 35 or something like that. Yeah. Am I willing to delay that potential goal? Who even knows what will happen? But if I, am I willing to delay that so my best friend can heal. Yeah. Yeah. And in the long term, it's like, is it really even a delay? If I can do something to yeah. make the, the company make even more money, then it should theoretically happen faster. And I think the deal, because I didn't, I didn't, I was like, I don't want you typing all day. Yeah, that, that was not, not going to help. That was the tough so, part. So like there's, you can't blog, you can't like write extra articles, you can't do extra dev things. I think I was like, all right, three months. And I, I think it was like, what, $1,300 was all you needed at the time? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't need really much cheap. at the time, so I think I just took five thousand out of the mutual fund. I was fund. just like bare minimum, and then I ran through all my savings paying for physical therapy, but I could still pay rent. Yeah, and I, what was the deal? It was just like if you can find something to learn that would help the business, like maybe do that, 
and then three months from now we'll just review how it's gone and go from yeah. there and uh i mean yeah you you took that seriously like i remember I you read a to, bunch of like seo books and all kinds of just crazy stuff i tend to maybe get too serious about things <laughs> i mean i think that's that's why it's worked out so well though i have i have sort of a weird mental switch where i can only think something is a life or death situation so as soon as something's vaguely important i'm like i will kill my firstborn to make this live <laughs> <laughs> what's the quote from monster sink uh, <laughs> strike the screens I'll, of a thousand I'll, children. Yeah, I'll, I'll kidnap a thousand children before i let this company die <laughs> yeah i jumped straight to there i'm straight to water news yeah so I, I think you just went and read a bunch of development books like you taught yourself html5 just by reading or something like that over the three months and um i mean again you couldn't like blog or whatever but once that three months was over, I, I just kind of got the feeling. I was like, you're not going to take advantage of it. So let's just keep going. Yeah. And ever since then, we've basically been working together. Yeah, I because mean, it's like, uh, it's one of those weird cases where working with a friend works out rather than just being nepotism that sours everything. Mm -hmm. Primarily because I will obsessively work for a goal rather than sit back and go, eh, Tom's probably got it covered. Maybe I'll just uh, watch some Netflix. Yeah. I don't know why I'm Joey, Joey Wheeler for no reason. <laughs> but time was in attack mode. <laughs> Baby dragon. <laughs> and we both have experiences in our past where we've worked entrepreneurially with a partner and it horribly failed. Like both of us do. Yeah, it got, it got real confusing, real messy. Yeah. It's difficult. My first entrepreneurial venture ever was from the start with a partner that crashed and burned because my partner just, he didn't put in effort. And eventually there, were, there came a day where I just, I gave him more than half of the bank account and I was like, we're, we're just splitting, you know, but I think it's worked out really well for us. I, th I mean, I think we both have good mindsets that like, we don't have the personalities that would clash too much. Yeah. Which sometimes maybe doesn't make for great podcast dynamic because we don't disagree. Oh, on we enough. don't disagree too much. <laughs> like there's no, there's no big drama or fights well, on the podcast. At the same time, I think part of the reason is that we're both very okay with being told we're wrong or to do some, like, that's true. Yeah. This opinion is dumb. Here's why. Like, it's just like, oh, that's an interesting point. Allow me to assimilate that into yeah. my knowledge of self. Yeah. If I'm wrong, like, please tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. It's I, like, I, I uh, want to be wrong. Makes it easy. You know, I think there's a few like rules that we've tried to operate by. Um, I guess the first thing is like, we're not like co-founders, but you almost act like a co-founder. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like a. I kind of view myself as somewhat of a vice president for hire. Yeah, it's like a. It's a really weird thing. It's yeah. It's a weird position. But I view my commitment similar to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm. I'm always open to talk about the structure too. But it's worked out so far. I'd like to be king. Oh, okay. Actually, well, if we I can could, make a position called can, king, can we do that? Because that can. Yes. I guess you could. That's a. That's an awesome idea. Most corporate structures don't assign any sort of like equity or power to king. So yes, you can be king of college and. That's awesome. I'll put that on the team page. If I could be king, K rule. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, but I think we also have a lot of transparency. Like I have basically opened the finances to you and now ransom as well. And we just established targets and we're like, hey, once we hit certain revenue goals, like everyone gets pay rises. That's one thing that I've tried to be diligent about as we've built the team. Cause I know a lot of places will they'll hire somebody at one rate and then they will never proactively raise that person's rate. 
And then they'll you know? lose them to somebody who poaches them for like double their salary. But I think a lot of people, you know, they're stuck in situations where they haven't gotten a pay rise. They haven't been poached by somebody else. Yeah. And uh, they have to sit there and watch as their company hires new people at higher rates than them. And yeah. actually, you know what? I just remembered something. Heard about that too there was often. A, there was a reason why I think about this so hard. Because when I worked at the grocery store <clears throat> when I was 15 years old, I got hired at minimum wage which was $5 and five or $5 and 75 cents an hour. And they eventually raised me up to $7 and 75 cents when I got moved back to the bakery a year in. So I was making seven seventy-five, and I was the most senior person working in the bakery who was like a teenager. And then they hired one of my classmates at eight twenty-five an hour mm. starting salary. And they didn't bump me up and I asked them about it and they were like, Oh, we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that when your raise time comes up they and disrespect your baking skills yeah they disrespect my baking skills and i busted my butt at that job i worked hard that stuff happens way too often and like yeah. how are you not gonna feel a little bitter about that how are you not gonna be like yeah is that you like anyone would feel like what does that even mean you're devaluing me blatantly exactly yeah like if i don't know if, if we hire a new person and they get paid more everyone else is gonna get paid that much more that like that amount or more yeah because they have seniority but if I'm like, if we hire a writer and we are paying them 250 an article, everyone else is getting bumped to that. And I'll say that because that's what we pay. Yeah, and then you, you don't know? have to do that thing so many companies do where they're like, hey, you're not really allowed to talk to your, your coworkers about how much you make here. No, I, yeah, I want, well, number one. Hide it. Nobody's an employee. Yeah. Like everyone is, they should be charging a fair market rate. They're all fr- freelancers. So maybe someday we'll have employees. Right yeah. now, I'm the only employee of the company. Um I mean, we can talk about building that structure. It's just a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and it's on top of the other work that has to be done. Yeah, yeah it's just like, uh, let's pause videos for a while so I can go set up a corporate structure. <laughs> Which doesn't inherently increase the business at all. So it's like... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess like my strategy is I'm just like, hey, if the people who are working um, consistently with us like they want to talk about that we can talk about it but if everyone's happy being a freelancer as well and just like demanding pay rises every once in a while i'm cool with that too um but yeah we i guess we started working together because of that yeah and it's just and then, then i like started co-hosting the podcast ramping up because i was like here's the thing i'll read a i'll read a book a day just to, so we could talk about it on the podcast i'll do whatever yeah so the podcast uh that's that started before you started working with me. That was 2013. Reason I did that, I was a big fan of Pat Flynn's podcast, the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Great show for anybody who's like a solopreneur, freelancer, anything like that. And I went to Blog World in NYC and he gave a talk about podcasting. And I remember him saying, people come up to me all the time and they say, I found you because you're a podcast more than anything else which blew my mind because I figured that his site got a bunch of traffic from Google and everything. Yeah. And I think it gets more traffic from Google. But the thing about Google traffic is most of those people come to your site because they search for something. Maybe your page gives them the answer and most of them leave. They don't really stay to get to know. It's transactional. Yeah. And you might have some return traffic, but with a podcast, like I'm in your ear for an hour. I mean, we're in someone's ear for an hour, right? What am I doing in there? And people were telling Pat, like, I feel like I know you. I feel like we're buds, all that kind of thing. Like it's, I love tuning in every single week. And I was like, that sounds cool. I want to do that. So 2013, I bought myself a blue Yeti microphone. I went through Pat Flynn's podcast tutorial that's on his blog, which I think is still there. 
and it's still relevant, still works. Um, though it's actually much easier now. Just use Anchor. Anchor.fm makes it so easy. And yeah, podcasting has really kind of hit its stride as a, as a medium. It's really easy to get started. And I think it's going to get even easier. Spotify just bought Anchor, like, which I have some some thoughts about. I'm not sure. Like, podcasting is very open as a medium right now. And I guess like part of me is worried that companies buying up like big platforms that are going to be hosting most of the shows may make it more closed in the future, but also it may bump the audience too. Yeah. Because unlike YouTube, podcasting doesn't really have a really good viral generation engine. No, it's really long format and it's hard to, SEO doesn't work for the things we're saying right this second because we did not type them all out for somebody to search. Yeah. And I mean, like, we more than most podcasts put efforts in to do, like, highlights and video and snippets to increase the shareability. And even that is, it yeah, only moves the needle so much. It's not going to return as much. Podcasting is a, it's a weird medium, yeah. I guess. But I think it's still worth it. Even if it's not worth it from a financial perspective, like, from for the hours we're putting in here, we could divert them somewhere else and make more money. But that's true. I think that the podcast has a lot of value to it. Because there is room here and there's the opportunity for in-depth discussions that we just wouldn't have anywhere else. Yeah. Like and if it, we were and... sitting and writing stuff, I don't think we would ha- we would come to certain conclusions. I don't think we would have ever discussed like art of loving, that kind of thing. Like that was a valuable episode. Don't think we would have ever really put out content about that if we weren't podcasting. Yeah. Like the podcast, it's not really about how much money it makes compared to the other things. It's kind of like we can provide different value to the audience this yeah. way. It's it's really about the people who like to listen to it because mm-hmm. it's not like it pays us as much as other things. But yeah. And I have I have a theory about it. I think the audience is stickier on the podcast. Like I think I think podcasts are great for loyalty. You become like, like somebody their heads. Yeah, well, just and it's, the, it's the the amber, it's the proper real maple syrup. It's yeah. not like the Aunt Jemima corn syrup with maple flavor. No, it's, no. The, it's the real stuff. Our audience has taste. It's good. Probably oh, aged in bourbon barrels. I really want maple syrup now. I got some bourbon barrel aged, mm. rec bourbon barrel aged maple syrup downstairs. It's pretty good. But so th- I honestly think that like the YouTube videos obviously get more views, but... 40% of those are from non-subscribers and some of them subscribe, but a lot of them like watch one video and they leave. Yeah. I don't think that 40% of our podcast downloads are from non-subscribers. I think it's like, I would not the majority that. of them are probably people who listen on a regular basis. Maybe not every episode, but they subscribe. The medium I feel like is to kind of, at least in our case, we're not like telling stories or something, you know, we're just talking. So yeah. I think in this case, it's kind of like it gives the audience the chance to sort of feel like they're hanging out with us. Yeah. And then, they like it becomes a bit of a loyalty thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I want to put value in the podcast for that reason, not because it makes us the most dollars per square inch. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll put it out there. The reason why we have tangents and rambling and stuff, the reason why we don't stick to a, an outline with crafted bullet points like I do on the YouTube channel is because that's the vibe I'm going for. Like the few times want. we did that, I didn't even like it as much. It didn't feel right for the format. Like, like, like we're both trying to, talk our own PowerPoint presentation we prepared <laughs> over each other. If we're both going off bullet points and one of ours is in a different order, it becomes like, oh, yeah. am I supposed to jump down there now? And did you know that according to the Atlantic magazine in 2000? Well, actually, I have this source from a different... It's like, and they conflict? It becomes 
I don't want to give speech class present or you yeah. know group presentations. Every, not not every in week. conversation format. That's at least. weird. I it's much. I, I feel like it's a, a good opportunity for us to actively come up with new things as we're talking mm-hmm. that maybe we wouldn't even have thought of separately until, you know, like in last week's episode, you mentioned how video game design must know something about what makes yeah. people happy. And I was just like, that's a really interesting point. Like, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. And that's the, it's just a conversation about whatever we've decided to talk about. Yeah. And I like how a lot of the episodes like barely have an outline. Like those five questions episodes, no outline. Yeah, I, I put like a bullet point for each one if I have mm-hmm. a story that I have on the top of my head immediately. But yeah, yeah, that's because that's kind of what I want. Like I want it to organically. It's like I the, don't know. It's like uh, it's like playing Dig Dug. You it's know? like playing Another Dig video Dug. game. It's exactly thing. like playing. You Dig start Dug. digging, you do not know what is. You don't 50 know when there's down. a little weird dragon thing. You don't know. And I think that's that's part of my problem with videos. Well, you is do. you can see it. It's, I'm so perfectionist know. that I kind of feel like I have to know exactly what I'm going to say from the start of the project. And I have to yeah. like force myself. I was like, no, you need to get into the research and do- go discover things. That happens organically on the podcast. And it happens while we're creating content, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I think the other thing that has really been beneficial is this show's an hour long usually, which means that, you know, 258 episodes in, that's 258 hours of a lot. public speaking practice. And I used I to do a lot of solo episodes. so shy for the first, like... Even for the first time we did video, you know, after many of them, I still felt like a little shaky the first time. I remember the first time I suggested it, you were like, no. And then it was like months later, we... No, I've, you know, I've got my fair share of anxiety and stupid mental problems, you know, but this is like, you do this long enough and Mm -hmm. eventually I feel confident talking to people. What are they going to say, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I've gotten questions on the YouTube channel where people ask how did you learn to speak in public? How did you learn how to be eloquent on a camera? Do it a lot. By saying dumb things, playing video games in our first podcasts. And then... I mean, hey, streaming on Twitch, that might actually be another good way to get comfortable speaking in public. Yeah. Because you're being entertaining on a on a Twitch stream, maybe you can kind of distract yourself from the nervousness that you feel because you're playing a game. That might be another good way. You know, I bet you that a lot of seasoned twitch streamers could be pretty good speakers as well because there's a lot of skill transfer there so yeah we had the podcast um the next chapter that i want to talk about is the going pro chapter so i think this also happened before i hired you this was when we lived in the ames apartment i had about a year where college info geek became profitable and then i kind of stagnated for a bit I still put out articles, but it went down to maybe two or three a month. And full disclosure, I got horribly addicted to playing Magic the Gathering. So I think you mean wonderfully. <laughs> wonderfully addicted, yes. It was really fun, but I would have days where I'd wake up and intend to work. But then I would just, you know, I'm going to go research what combo possibilities that I can do with Mycosynth Lattice and then end up building an entire artifact deck. And the day is over and whoops. Didn't do any work. You've got to find some way to stop Omnath from bringing peace. You do. You definitely do. But you can't stop it. And I mean, you could definitely use Microsoft Lattice to do that, but then you're probably going to drop global artifact destruction on me. I will bring peace. See? Yeah. I want to play now, but that's a side point. There was was a period of time where I did not get a whole lot of work done, was not disciplined. And then I remember, I don't think I read The War of Art at this time, but I remember hearing on a podcast somebody who had read The War of Art saying like, 
the difference between an amateur and a pro is somebody who's a pro, they show up every day and they put in work regardless of whether or not they feel inspired, regardless of whether or not they wanna do something else, they put in the work because it's their craft. And that really got to me. I also read The Motivation Hacker where I got a lot about a lot from that book, but the biggest thing I got was the story of Nick Winter pledging half of his wealth as a bet to Beeminder that he would finish his book. Yeah. And I think it was like putting in a certain amount of words per day. And then the other half of his wealth he put on the line of Beeminder and it would have been all lost if he did not go skydiving. He was like forcing himself to face his fear and also forcing himself to put in effort on a daily basis. And I was like, oh, duh. It's the same thing as my wake up tweet thing that I used to do. I just need the proper motivator. And for me, a proper motivator is the threat of losing a bunch of money. So I started using Beeminder and I set it up that it was looking at my RSS feed and it looked for a podcast and a YouTube or a podcast and a blog post every single week. And then eventually I started doing YouTube videos. So I programmed it to also look for a YouTube video every single week. And that's how I got really, really consistent for a long time. Um, so that was kind of the genesis of the YouTube channel. And we've been talking for a while, so I will... Plus, you probably got to get Ashley pretty soon, I'm guessing. Ashley, she's going to a Harry Potter trivia. Oh, cool. Then I can talk you off for two more hours, right? That's true. <laughs> well, then we can fit in 10 more sponsors, I'm pretty sure, if we just That's say true. them and then send them an invoice. Yeah, if we do 10-hour-long that... podcasts, we could have 10 sponsors could per I just, episode. That's we how just that works. Randomly, like, uh, we're sponsored by uh, Apple. Love them. Oh. <laughs> and then if we send them an invoice, will they... <laughs> Will that work? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, we'll, we'll try it. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll go talk to Tim Cook. I hang out with Tim Cook all the time. All, every day. We're best buds. Um, so I think that was where we really started to see consistent growth. And you can actually go look at the Google Analytics. If you go from 2010 to now, mid-2014 is where the plateau starts to break and we start to see real growth. And I think it was because of that discipline. Um, that was around the time I started doing YouTube videos. I remember my first YouTube video, I tried to build a light. I knew nothing about video lighting. I knew nothing about anything. But I had my Blue Yeti microphone from podcasting. So I set that up next to me on a bookshelf. And then I tried to build a video light from like a shop light that I bought from Home Depot not realizing it was a halogen bulb that got really, really hot. Oh, yeah. And I tried to build a softbox <laughs> out of this, like, fabric-lined cardboard hamper, and I almost started a fire. <laughs> Love that, especially when we live together. It's a great time to start fires, Tom. At least I didn't fumigate the entire apartment with spray paint. This is... That's true. <laughs> um, so that was a mistake. I then learned how to make real lights. And, man, like, back then, it seems so obvious now, but... Starting out, I really had no idea how to do anything. I did not know how to get good video lighting. I figured that video lights would cost a zillion dollars along with everything else. Uh, and I very fortunately happened to have a friend who pointed me to some blog posts that taught me how to make Home Depot lights that weren't fire hazards. And they were just like shop lights with CFL bulbs and you put wax paper over them for the diffusion. The you don't cut a hole in the bottom of a cardboard hamper and then put a sheet over it and yep. <laughs> just like combine all the most flammable materials together. Oh, there's an alternate universe where we all died. There probably is. That's, that's, that's cool. Tom C-137 is a total dingus. Uh, anyway, we didn't die. Started making YouTube videos. Found out that it was really fun. All the editing was actually a lot of fun. 
spent many, many, many hours watching a lot of YouTubers that I liked, like Cat Icarus and JonTron. And uh, I think the YouTube channel was like me trying to be JonTron or Cat Icarus, but within the student space. So that's why a lot of the original videos are kind of like, here's the Tony Hawk pro skater method to figuring out if you should go to college. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally, I chose that topic because I wanted to teach myself how to animate that little grind meter <laughs> with the balance thing. And the next one was Habitica. And I just had like a whole Pokemon analogy because I just wanted to do a video on Pokemon. So that's kind of how this channel got started. And over time it's morphed and evolved. And I think, you know, we've kind of created our own style, but there was a lot of inspiration that came from video game YouTubers um, and I guess like along with the YouTube channel, I wrote the book 10 steps to earning awesome grades. And I think the combination of those two things was really, really beneficial and very fortunate. We did it because we made the book a free email download and I meant to write like just one of those, I don't know, five page PDF email opt-in incentives that all the bloggers love to do. And I accidentally wrote a 100 page book, but yeah. I, I had already publicly said it was going to be free. So I just kept it free. <laughs> well, it's a pretty good incentive then. Yeah. Uh, and as it turns out, um, you can make many hundreds of dollars a month off of a free book. Ask me how just build a giant media business, give the book away for free, but then also put it on Amazon. Yep. The Kindle version is a dollar because you can't make it free forever. I think the only way you can make it free is by doing like limited time promotions and then they oh. expire and you have to go in like every month to do it. So I was like, you know what? It's a dollar. If people buy it and they didn't know about the free version and they want a refund for me, they could ask. But like if you bought it for a dollar, I think it's worth a dollar. Yeah. And then the print version, which is what makes the most money. I think that's 10 bucks. I opted for a pretty low royalty. It's a pretty short book, but yeah, now, I mean that reliably makes a few hundred a month from the print book sales. So aspiring authors out there, my suggestion, write free books, get an audience off that, then maybe write a paid book in the future or sell the print books for money. I don't know. Yeah, well, if you already had a successful, like it, it was easier to find somebody to work with you on the audiobook because you had already done the successful yeah. free ebook. So you could, get was... an, you could get an agent and be like, this is how many people already like my stuff. I did not try to sell the audio rights. That was like serendipity to the max. Because you remember, we tried to do an audiobook version in the in the room. Oh, we tried. I didn't like that process. It wasn't was, very good. <laughs> that was going to take a long time. And I was having a conversation with my lit agent, who I originally met because we sold the Korean translation rights to the book. Mm. Um, and I was having lunch with her in New York City when I was there for a trip. And I just happened to mention that we were trying to do the audiobook and we were going to do ACX and self-publish that too. And she's like, well, wait a minute send me your sales numbers for the print version and I will try to sell the audio rights. Uh, and I was like, no one, no publisher is going to buy the audio rights to a book that anyone can download for free. That was my thinking. And she comes back a week later and she's like, oh, actually I've got three publishers who want to buy it. So some things can happen. How to and, accidentally sell your free book. Yeah. So Brilliance Audio bought it. I went to New York. I recorded it with a proper audio studio. And a real audio engineer edited it. Ooh, I didn't have to edit it. <laughs> you didn't have to sit there taking out my pauses and ums and ahs and screw-ups. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, I'm a published author, which is kind of insane. <laughs> um, but the book was really good because the YouTube channel created an audience. 
And then the book allowed us to build a sizable email list too, which has helped us grow the blog. It's helped us, I think, grow the podcast because the podcast doesn't have a whole lot of organic marketing channels that really work for it. So often the best way to promote that is to either promote it on the YouTube channel or get people to sign up for the email list and then promote it on that. Yeah. So that's been helpful too. Um, and that kind of brings us to today. You've been working with me for what, three years now? I think, I think. maybe two. Full was it 2016 time? or 2017 when you started? I can't remember. No, 2017 is when we moved to Denver and you started in like March of 2016. So it's been about three years at this point. And uh, Ransom has been working for us for maybe two, I think. And it's kind of cool because he started off as a commenter in the comment section on the blog posts. And then I let him write a guest post and then a few more and then hired him as a freelance writer. And now he's editor in chief of the entire site, manages three writers himself, is learning a bunch of other marketing stuff for us. So did you have a journal entry or something for it is over three years? Yep. Oh, I have, I have like a note of all of my extracurricular hobby project and job history everywhere. Oh, that's pretty smart. uh, You know, that's, that's a little tip to build your, you know, your specified resumes. When I was in high school, I had one. I have this data at all all times and Uh, I I even include it for weird side projects. Like, you know, when I officially was done writing for my blog, like I just want the data in case I ever need to be like, how long was I working here? Here's the exact numbers. That's a good idea because I think like when you write a resume, you obviously <clears throat> tailor it. You probably take off. Well, see, things. I just guessed two. The mm. note tells me it was over three. Yep. I would not have guessed that because time keeps on <laughs> slipping, slipping, slipping so fast that people listening to this probably don't even know what this, that song is. So you know, because like all my references, I'm, I'm dating myself. I think time keeps on slipping is a pretty timeless reference. See what I did there? Oh no, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we've just we've continued to build a team organically. Anna started working with me. Ashley works with us. We've got a guy in Portugal who does our show notes. We've got Roxine in Canada doing articles. We have a video editor. It's it's cool. We have 10 people on the team now. Yeah. But it's been a very, very gradual process with a lot of teeth pulling for me because I had trouble delegating, and I still have trouble delegating. This, is, this is true. I'm working on it. Yeah. You were very protective of that version 4. I was very protective. <laughs> uh, and then when we did version five as well, which was awesome. Luckily, I really, really wanted to have good web experience because it was going to be way cooler for my future career prospects anyway. That's true. So every bit of extra effort was like, yeah, but this is what I want to do with my time, not IT desktop support. You mm-hmm. know? And if anyone's curious on how our business works now, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know, we have sponsors on the podcast on the YouTube channel. That's a pretty good chunk of our revenue. We've got probably 10 or 15 affiliate partners on the website. Yeah. The book sales are still a good, uh, significant chunk of our income. And now we finally have a course on Skillshare. Yeah. Uh, But like with the book, I had to go the least profitable route possible. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm very aware of the fact that we could have done a slick email funnel with like, you know, be, have it on Teachable, sell it for whatever, however many dollars. $7 billion, dollars, then you only need one sale. It's only then six you get $7 easy billion. payments and one hard payment. And also you have to rip off Mitch Hedberg jokes and then you can have it. Yeah. But no, with Skillshare, like Skillshare is what, eight bucks a month and you can get a two month free trial. So we make some affiliate commission off that. And then we make, I think it's like four to five cents per minute on average. They just kind of like, 
they they uh, earmark part of their premium pool of money to the creators, and then the creators get it based on how much watch time they have. Mm. So definitely not as profitable as selling it for real, but I was like, I want to make a foundational productivity course that's on to-do lists and calendars and folder structure and all the stuff that people, like, they need to yeah. be solid like the, on. Ba- the basics. And, like, I want to make it a course, so I would like to be... I'd like to make money off of it somehow, but I don't want to bar people from taking it. You can't have your calendar set up without $200, please. Yeah. So no, go take it for free. And if you like it, then keep subscribing to Skillshare. If not, like then you got the information. That's what I care about the most. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we have enough money to run a 10 person team right now. Yeah. A lot of stuff about this company is like, we don't intentionally try to ruthlessly make money in every way possible. A lot of stuff like the podcast, the fact that the book was free, the fact that, yeah. that a lot of it is just kind of to help people, mm-hmm. you know? And then I feel like that's weird maybe from a business perspective because a lot of the internet entrepreneurs are going to like ruthlessly sell a $900,000 courses. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and there's a good it audience like... there. It's not a bad thing. It's just this is yeah. a weird way to do it. There's a good audience there. Sometimes it's very worth it. Sometimes it's scammy. But a lot of times it's like they're selling good information. You would go to college for this. So, yeah. you know, if you pay $600 for a course on like video SEO and marketing, that, like that I would pay, pay 600 bucks then... for that. My friend Matt sells an SEO course for 200 bucks. He should charge 500 for it. Yeah, if and a lot of that stuff so, will pay off greatly. It's just you know, weird that for College Info Geek specifically, it's often gone the very intentionally not the most profitable route. But and it, I I want to acknowledge privilege and luck here. Like there there were a lot of kind of stepping stones to getting here. One being that the site became ramen profitable while I still had living expenses that were in the ramen level. I yeah. was still living with roommates and in Ames, Iowa. In Iowa. The cheapest apartments in town. Rent was very cheap. You know? Oh, and I I guess I want to go back Great to that. Great place to start your internet business, actually. Yeah. Go to the you know? Midwest. Nobody's charging anything there. You can get a house for, like, nothing. And, you know, maybe I didn't make in-person connections with people in the Bay Area and everything. And maybe I could be a bazillionaire by now because of that. But, yeah, it was super cheap. And what I really needed to do was build online relationships with bloggers and make content. Yeah. And if, if someone was starting the same thing today, here's what I would tell them. Um, content quality matters more than anything. And it matters more than ever did for Google SEO. Back in the day, it was like all about backlinks and getting links from other sites and guest posting. Now, my friend Matt is proof that you can build site from the uh, site from the ground up, have no backlinks, just have really good articles that target good keywords and they will rank. If I was starting again today, I would just hold myself up in a room and write, articles that were better than everyone else's on all the most relevant uh, topics. And you know what? That's what we do. Yeah. But don't you come for us. (laughs) I mean, no, please do like competition is good. I I'm actually also hired to break legs though. So, okay. Yeah. Low level mob enforcer. I'll have to pay you a visit (laughs) and give you a pair of cement shoes. It's a pretty good SEO you got there. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe uh, give me, give us a couple backlinks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had a friend who he shut his website down and like a year later it popped back up and I thought he brought it back. Nope. Somebody had downloaded his website. Oh. Uh, he let his domain lapse. So they took it and then like they put it back up, but it was, they were still in, like impersonating him. Well, that's. And I was like, is, is this run by the mob? You see, 
this is why I just leave my I keep my domain names forever once I use them for something. Yeah, yeah. If I say a domain name, I like, will die owning polyglot.com. Even a lot of like the really silly That's domain weird. names that I put in like our hover ads, I will go buy those domains just to be safe. Just just so somebody <laughs> doesn't go to them like, haha, let's this is let's see if this is a real site and then it's yeah. a virus or like, something. Like I literally bought I went and bought thomas.lol because I wanted to show off that you could have a silly domain name. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? I'll just link it to my Spotify. You're going to keep people from impersonating you and putting a virus on there. That's true. Yep. Um, So I want to go back to the original question. She asked, like, what was the impetus for me going all in on the business? There was one additional factor that I haven't talked about yet. I kind of forgot about it. Uh, But it's probably the most important factor. And that's my girlfriend, Anna. I was a senior in college. And I did not know what I was going to do with my life after graduating because when I started my senior year, CIG was making a little bit of money, maybe like 800 bucks a month or something like that. But it obviously wasn't full-time income. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, some of our friends had expressed interest in moving up to Minneapolis. And I was like, well, I, I know web development. I didn't like that IT job doing the network settings and the firewall stuff, but maybe I could be happy coding because at least that's creative somewhat. So I had every plan to graduate, move to Minneapolis and go try to find work at like a web development agency. And then I met Anna. She was a sophomore. So she had two more years in school. And month after month, as I was dating her, College Info Geek started making more money. And I got to the point where I was like, I could stay here in Ames. I could run this business while I wait for her to graduate. And that's kind of why I didn't move, kind of why I never pursued another full-time job. Like, I wanted to stay with her. Thanks, Anna. So, yeah, seriously, thanks, Anna. <laughs> uh, and now she edits this podcast and is an integral part of the business. Ah, uh, this whole time it was a ruse for a podcast editing job. That's the long con. Uh, that is a long con. That's a, wow. very, that's a very solid long con. It's very solid. I mean, like you can't even, you can't even be mad. It's so weird and dedicated. (laughs) (laughs) All I ever wanted to do was start a podcast. All I wanted wanted to do was hope that you start a podcast. This guy (laughs) before he starts a podcast, I'm sure he'll start one eventually. It's gotta happen. (laughs) No, she's dating me for my sweet DDR skills. Yeah, probably. That's it. That's That's the only reason. That's gotta be it. You better not let those slip though. I mean, I did just order two arcade. There it is. You You keep it up. It's been a dream of mine to have a DDR machine since I was 14 years old and it's going to happen. It's finally going to happen. I'm I'm stoked. It's not going to be a real DDR machine, but I'm going to basically rig something up that will be just as good. Include the DK bongos. Well, duh. Though. Yeah, just I'm going to have every obviously every rhythm every game peripheral, peripheral controller yeah. will be there and I will yeah, we'll have DK bongo nights. Yeah. We'll have Space Channel Five Nights. What are some other really, really obscure rhythm games that I can date myself on? Get to Man. Let me see. I love Elite Beat Agents, but that's just like a Elite DS Beat game, was right? It doesn't have a peripheral. You just there use the touch is screen. an open source Elite Beat ish game for PC. Okay. Yeah, I love that game. Or we'll do Synesthesia Nights with like the keyboards. Just oh, yeah. rhythm games. Oh, we'll put in. We'll get the MIDI. The MIDI input. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll just play the piano. Yeah. So that's the CIG story. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my, my notes here and I realize like this episode actually does have Hover as a sponsor. <laughs> oh, so that's coincidental. I actually forgot that they were sponsoring this particular episode well, when that I had the Hover. Works out. So I guess they get additional advertising on this episode, which is fine because I mean, I do get all my domains in Hover. Uh, that is a CIG story. So 
hopefully that clears up some stuff there. And yeah, just, so I guess I, I'll, I'll answer the, the initial question simply. I went all in because it was a way for me to stay in Iowa with my friends and to be with my girlfriend while she finished college. It's a labor of love. Yep. That also turned out to be great because turns out I like doing this a lot more than I like coding websites for random businesses. Yep. Look I out don't for the hate coding, but uh, this is better. Look out for the College Info Geek soundtrack, Labor of Love. Uh, maybe coming this fall. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I will make a College Info Geek soundtrack. Look, man, we have a whole recording studio. I... We have the technology. Let's see. We can build this. This is true. How can I make a weird $6 million man reference fit this? I don't know. I don't know. Show notes for this episode are going to be over at cigpodcast.com slash 258. We'll have some links from the history of College and Geek. I know there's like the original hanging desk post, the the iPhone app post. That was how I got out of doing my last required class in college. I convinced them to let me swap it for independent study. And then use that to try to build an iPhone app for CIG. Yeah. It failed, but I did learn some uh, Objective-C. And then now everyone writes in Swift, so it doesn't really help me. But I did learn some stuff. That was pretty cool. We'll have some other things there. So CIGpodcast.com slash 258 once again. And uh, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, if you're listening to this in your web browser or you're watching it on YouTube and you want it delivered to your phone or your device every Monday morning when it comes out, then you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and CIGpodcast.com. Just that URL and under the slash stuff will give you links to subscribe on all of those platforms. So check that out. You can also go to collegeinfogeek.com slash resources to find our college packing guide with everything you need to bring to make your college experience awesome. There's like flip-flops on that list. There's like bananagrams. Gotta have them. There's laptop recommendations. There's stuff on there. We've got our essential books list over there and we have our general resources list with lots of app, rec- uh, app recommendations and other cool stuff. So definitely check that out if you're curious. If you uh, want to support this show, share it with a friend. Maybe they'll become a fan as well. Or you can give us a rating and review over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you are an iOS or Mac user. I don't think many of the other podcast platforms have review things. So I always just hype the Apple Podcast one. Yeah. Well, then Download maybe, iTunes well, just maybe for when us, we man. Do send Tim Cook the invoice. We should. You know? We've been we've been mentioning Apple Podcasts in every yeah. every episode. Yeah, so, come on, Tim. It's uh, about a million dollars. Like he's gonna be like, "That's nothing, right? I don't even. It's not even worth looking into." <laughs> He'll just like hand it over. I mean, hey, if <laughs> I would rather just have like, I want Tim Cook to mail me a sticky note that just says no. <laughs> Tim Cook, <laughs> I will put it right there. I'll like it better if he also ironically includes "lol" at the bottom. <laughs> no lol. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. Yeah fantastic note so i think that is about going to do it for this episode uh thanks as always for hanging out with us and we will see you in next week's episode stay cute